Tell you a little story before he, before he starts. I was nearly preaching today, boys, so you're lucky. <laughs> uh, the chap who was supposed to be here from Bridge, he double booked. So he t- he'd asked me if it would be okay if he could call another time. So I said yes. So I'd prepared uh, all day yesterday. <laughs> and then I found out of Stephen there, uh, he was coming. Heath was, was, I said, how's that? Amen. And I thought, so they're all really happy because I'm not <laughs> preaching. That's the point. But you know what? Isn't God good? Amen. You know, that's, uh, thank you very much. And you know what? He only found out with short notice and he was prepared to come. So I want to thank you for that. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. I'll give you this as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is or not. I can't remember. Yeah, nobody rings me except when I'm doing something, and I'm doing something, so someone's guaranteed to ring me while the service is in operation. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon everybody, it's a pleasure to see you all. My name's Heath Stockburn and as you can probably tell by my broad, rich northern accent that I'm from the Pennines, I'm from a place called Burnley, the capital of the world. I just want you to know that, that's what we think where we're from anyway and I'm sure you probably have similar feelings about where you're from. Uh, It's a pleasure, a genuine pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, to come and visit you. Uh, It's a genuine pleasure to come and share God's word with you and some stories and some history of what God's done for us and then therefore the hope of what God is going to do for us and the promise of a future in him. Uh, And I just wanted to introduce myself. I brought my wife, Elizabeth Stockburn, with with me this morning. She was born not so far away from here. Uh, She's from this neck of the woods and she's uh, from her family come to this church and and she's related to some people in this church. Uh, and three of my children, uh, the noisy ones at the front, were, uh, have gone out to the Sunday school there. So that's me and my family this morning. I just thought I'd make an introduction for you all. So that if you want to come and speak to me, you know us and we're, we're a bit familiar. I'm just going to... Is this attached to the floor? No. Is it if I just... Yeah. So I, don't, I don't want it too far, just because I like to walk up and down a bit. You see, I don't want to walk into it. Because that's perfect there. And then if we just change it to an angle, that's brilliant there. That's it. Now, if we could just put some chairs. I'm not joking. I'm just messing. Okay, so I just want to uh, pray for us all and myself this morning. I always open by praying before I speak. Uh, don't worry, I'll just do it really quickly. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. And I just pray that you minister to us and through us and in us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. And then you use us for what you give us out in the world throughout the week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've, got a, I've got a bit of a joke for you. Ooh. Ooh. A bit of a joke for you this morning. There was a gentleman and he was living life as you do. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, God sent me to grant you one thing that you would like. Whatever it is you'd like, the Lord has sent me and it's yours, we can do it for you. He said, well, actually, yeah, I've, uh, I've always wanted a motorway from the UK over to America so that we can drive backwards and forwards, you know, like the Channel Tunnel, just a motorway that we can drive over to America. And the angel of the Lord said, oh, 
it's going to use a lot of resources, is that, and it's going to change the geography of the world, and it's going to change the, the atmosphere and the environment and, and the political structures and governments, and everything is that. It's massive. It's a really big thing you're asking for there. Is there not anything else you've always wanted as well? Is there not something else that the Lord can grant you? He said, well, yeah, actually, there is. There's always something else I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be able to understand women. He said, do you want one lane or two lanes on that motorway? <laughs> okay, so I've been speaking at, uh, I'm from a church in Burnley, I'm an assistant pastor, and uh, I speak there, and I've been speaking on um, a series, I've been doing a series over the last few months, and the series has been talking about why does God allow trouble into this world? Most specifically, why does God allow trouble into our lives? Trouble of all types and all kinds. Why does God allow trouble into this world? And it's a big subject. It's a big question. And it's also a valid question as Christians, as believers, we don't stop searching and asking these questions. The journey of our lives is to search God, to seek his face, to seek God. We don't just seek him, get saved, and then forget about him because we've got our salvation, and that's great, fantastic, that's done. We just crack on with life. We seek him daily. Each new day, we continue to seek his face. And sometimes in that search, we come to questions and we ask God questions. I ask God all sorts of questions. I ask him all sorts of questions. His God is big enough. He can take my questions. Why does God allow trouble into our lives? And so one of the people that I've looked at in the Bible who suffered great trouble is Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, we read about Joseph, and I'm just going to read some select parts of the chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, because I appreciate you don't want to sit there and listen to me for the next four hours. So I'm just going to read just some portions from Genesis chapter 37, just so you can get an idea of who this Joseph guy is, and I'll tell you a little bit about him as well. He was a guy who had some brothers. He was the youngest of his brothers and was also his dad's favourite. And his dad gave him a nice, nice coat to wear. And in ancient history, in ancient cultures, giving someone your coat was handing over your authority. It was giving them your mantle. It was just saying, yeah, you're going to get what I've got when I'm gone. You're going to get what I've got when I'm gone. That's yours. Giving them your coat. He's dressing them up as your favourite. And we know he got a coat of many colours. We know he had a dream where he saw himself ruling over many, many people. And we also know he was stupid enough to go and rub it in his brother's faces and say, ha, <laughs> I've had this dream. Guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be ruling over all these nations and ruling over all these people and I'm going to be ruling over you guys as well. You're going to be all bowing down to me. And his brothers didn't like him very much. He got on their nerves. And that's the story of family, isn't it? 
all through ancient times and even modern times, doesn't family get on your nerves? <laughs> Let's be honest about it, yeah? We love them the best, but they also irritate the most, don't they? It's some sort of like weird fact of life, you know. My brothers know what buttons to push on me. Even now, you know, they can just whack, push the buttons straight away. And we can do the same for each other in church. Sometimes we can push each other's buttons. Sometimes we can push the pastor's buttons, can't we? Sometimes we can push somebody else's buttons, wind, wind them up a little bit, you know. Joseph got on his brother's nerves. And his brothers didn't like him. They very much didn't like him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Genesis 37, verse 4. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. They hated him all the more. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So Joseph is this gentleman in ancient times who's having family troubles, very real family troubles. Let me paint you a picture of ancient times. So we have, in the Middle East, we've got ancient Palestine, we've got Babylon, we've heard about these nations, Babylon, we've got, we've got Africa, We've got Europe and we've got the northern parts where Russia are. And then right in the very middle of all of these countries and cultures is this country called Egypt. And Egypt has this river that starts in Uganda and it works its way all the way through northeastern part of Africa to the coast in the Mediterranean and it's called the River Nile. And twice a year, traditionally, if there's no floods or droughts or any unusual weather conditions, this river floods twice a year and then sinks and leaves acres and acres and acres of wonderful, rich, fertile soil in the middle of thousands and thousands of miles of baking desert. And this vein of life runs right down this country called Egypt. And the Egyptians have mastered the art of cultivating the banks of the river now for food, for clothing, and for building. And so in the middle of thousands of miles, more miles than we can imagine, Desert after desert, the Sahara Desert on one side and sand and rocks on the other side with the Sinai and Israel and all of those nations around there. Right in the middle, you've got this lovely, rich, fertile country. Clean water, good food. And out of this rises a culture that becomes the world superpower. Imagine America or Russia or China. It becomes 
the world superpower. They build the pyramids. They build great stone monuments. They build a culture that writes and reads and records its own history on the stones that it uses to build. And this is the centre of commerce of the world, of the known world. It's the centre of culture. If you want to be somebody, you've got to get yourself to Egypt. You want that dream job, you've got to get down to Egypt. You want to earn that chariot or that car or that Lamborghini, you've got to get yourself down to Egypt. You want to become famous, get yourself to Egypt. You want to become a name, you want to be Twittered, you want to be Facebooked, you want likes, you've got to get yourself to Egypt. That is Egypt of the ancient world. And over to the northeast is Joseph and his family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph is one of Jacob's sons, one of his 12 sons, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's promised Abraham the land that they're now in. They're there. He's promised it. He took him up and said, as far as your eye can see, this will be your people's. Your people will number greater than all the sands of the earth. And into this scene, into this historical event, steps, or is born, a man called Joseph. And God uses this man to save the ancient world. And he gives him a dream. And he gives him brothers that are really nasty. And he gives him a really awkward family. And he gives him an environment that's not favourable or not nice. Or not what we would call a good family home. If it was modern times, he'd be green-sheeted in school because he'd have concerns about his family background. They'd have concerns about his home life. The social workers would want to know what's happening to this young boy when he goes home. Because he's not in a good home life. And God uses this man to save the ancient world from starvation. And this is what happens to Joseph now. His brothers take him, capture him, and chuck him in a pit in the ground that's so deep he can't climb out of it. They wait for the slave trade to come along, the slave caravans to come along, and they sell him into slavery. So let me tell you about the underbelly of Egypt. We've heard about the glory and the glamour. Let's look at the underbelly of Egypt at this time. All across that region of North Africa, from Morocco in the northwest, down to the heart of Africa, up to the Middle East with Israel and Palestine. I'm using a modern map to give us a picture of the territories. Right across to Pakistan, India, Afghanistan, China, Turkey, and all the way to the north in Russia is a massive trade route that passes through Egypt. It's called the Silk Road. And you can buy and sell 
anyone. Children, women, men, weapons, animals, food, goods, anything on this trade route. And the wonderful thing about this trade route, if you're so inclined, is that you can disappear anything into it. You can chuck it in and it's gone. Because once it's in that trade route, it can cross any number of borders. And that trade route is still alive today. It still exists. You remember five, six years ago, about that time, there was a group of ladies in an African country, I think it was Nigeria, they were captured from northern Nigeria and they disappeared. They couldn't find them. Gone. You can still, to this day, go and buy slaves on that trade route. Some of the Arabic nations still operate trade slave routes. Slavery is still active today. And that trade route is the bugbear of the modern world. Because you can put someone in it at Morocco and they can pop out of that trade route anywhere between the west coast of Morocco and the east coast in China. And that's where they sell Joseph. I want to tell you about somebody who experienced this slave route. In the late 1800s, there was a gentleman called Captain Riley. He had a ship. He was a tradesman. He used to go to the uh, west coast of Africa, pick up goods, ivory, wood, that sort of thing, go and trade them somewhere else. One time he was coming into the west coast of Ivory, storm hits. He's washed up on the shore of West Africa. He ends up in the Sahara Desert. Most of his crew die of starvation or thirst or, or just die of disease or heat exposure. A few of them survive. And they're walking through the desert trying to find somewhere civilised and they come across a group of Bedouins. Bedouins are a tribe that roam all across Africa and the Middle East. They capture Captain Raleigh and they take him and they sell him into slavery. And he talks about his experience in slavery. Did you know a camel in the Sahara Desert is worth more than a human life? Because a camel is a walking oasis of survival. They used to make the slaves drink the urine of the camel. If things got really bad, really bad, on one of these slave routes... They'd cut the throat of the camel. They'd keep all the blood from the camel. They would boil it up and they would create some food from it, a bit like black pudding. They would take the stomach out of the camel and it would contain a green bile. You could drink the green bile and survive because it contained the precious water that the desert didn't. That's the environment they sold Joseph into. I'm painting this picture because we have the West End. 
And the West End would have Joseph and his technical dream court, and they'd have a singing and dancing and waving arms and thinking that this is a wonderful, wonderful story, and that Joseph became a great man, and it was a walk in the park for him. He just had to sing a few songs, have a chorus line, and boom, he's in charge of Egypt. Absolute rubbish. This is the world that his brothers, they take him from a family, and they sell him into slavery. He becomes property. Now you don't tell me that's not trouble. Why does God bring this trouble? Let's go back to the original question. You don't tell me that's not trouble. We all have troubles. Joseph's got troubles. Chapter 2 of this story. He's now working for one of the Egyptian, so he's like a soldier. He's like a guardsman. He's now working, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Someone will know in here. Nigel, you'll know. What's he called? Potiphar. Thank you. I got it now. I looked at you and I thought of Potiphar. That's weird, isn't it, Nigel? <laughs> I don't know what it was about you. I think it's the way you hold yourself. I looked at Nigel and thought of Potiphar. I'm looking at Aunt Carol and thinking, Potiphar's wife? That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> She was a nasty piece of work, Potiphar's wife. Get this. Joseph's in Potiphar's house. He's working as a, as a slave. His property is owned by Potiphar. He has to do what Potiphar says. Potiphar says, go get this, he has to go get it. Go fetch this, he has to fetch it. Clean that, he has to clean it. Build that, he has to build it. Joseph does such a good job, he becomes Potiphar's favourite slave. And Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his household. He puts a slave in charge of his household. So now Joseph is saying, go get that, clean that, build that. Potiphar's wife's got a bit of an eye for him. She likes what she sees. Young lad, going into a good man. She likes it. To her... He's just property. To her, he's a thing. He's an asset. He's equity. He's an investment. He's where they have put their money. And she wants a return for that money. Joseph, sleep with me. Now he is in trouble. Because he can't not do what he's told because he's a slave. But... He's also a man of God. And he knows he's not going to sleep with her. Is that Paul's phone? Paul, we found your phone. It's over here. She's got it. What have you got his phone for? You should give him his phone back. You can't trust anyone around here, can you? Oh, we found it, Paul. Solve that problem. He's caught between a rock and a hard place, an impossible situation. You know what? Life has a way of throwing impossible situations at you. Impossible situations. He has to do as he's told. But he knows if he doesn't do as he's told, and he stands on his morals, this is not going to go well. He's not going to come out of this all right. Either way, 
Sleeps with her, is in bother. Doesn't sleep with her, is in bother. Sometimes we are in impossible situations. Why does God bring us trouble? Joseph decides to stand on God. And he knows that he might end up dead because of it. He knows that he's only property. We've talked about what the slave trade is. And he knows if he says no, they have the right to just chop off his head. He knows. He's not stupid. He's not taking a decision without knowing the consequences of his actions. But he still makes the right decision, knowing the consequences or the possible consequences of his actions. He runs away. She's got his cloak in his hand. And you know what happens? He's accused of the crime he didn't commit anyway. He's accused of a thing that he refused to do. She tells Potiphar, oh, he tried to come on to me. He tried to give it the odd sell. Oh, oh. He's, oh, oh, my, my. I'm blushing the way he treated me, Joseph. The things he said, disgraceful. And Potiphar has to believe his wife because he can't put a slave above his wife. And Joseph goes to prison for the thing he didn't do anyway. Life's not fair, is it? An unmovable, a fact that we can all agree on. Life is not fair. Why does God bring us trouble? Joseph's been through some trouble. Let me finish this story for you. In prison, he's that good, he behaves that well, he's put in charge of the prison. The prison guards let him run the inner workings of the prison. To the point where he begs a man to remember him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream and God gives Joseph the meaning. I know what that dream means. He gives the prisoners a dream and he tells them what it means and it comes to pass. Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph knows what that dream means. Joseph tells Pharaoh what it means. Seven skinny cows, seven fat cows. Seven fat cows first. Egypt will have a time, seven years of great wealth, great food. Food is wealth in ancient times. Massive amounts of food. But then will come seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, you're in charge, you sort it out. 
And because of that decision, Joseph saves the ancient world. Not just Egypt. He stores up that much food. Read Genesis chapter 37 yourself. Read it. You won't believe it. It's amazing. He saves up that much food that all the surrounding nations come to Egypt to get their food. Because Abraham sends his sons. Go and ask him for some food. Go and ask Egypt for some food. And that's how they end up kneeling before Joseph. And they don't recognise him because he's in all the Egyptian garb. Why does God bring us trouble? That man, if you'd have seen him in the pit, you would never have seen him in Egypt, dressed like a pharaoh. You'd have never believed it. You'd have never put the two people together. If you'd have seen him in the slave caravans, you'd have never seen him being the ruler of Egypt. You wouldn't have seen it. You've never got, oh, that man's going to be ruling Egypt one day. You wouldn't have thought that. You'd have done what I didn't thought, oh, what a scumbag. Let's be honest. We judge, we stereotype, and we're not good at it. When they saw him in Potiphar's house and he was accused of doing something he didn't do, you wouldn't have thought that man was going to be ruling Egypt. But here's the thing. God did. God did. God saw Joseph exactly where he was going to end up. God never ever looked at Joseph as a slave. He looked at him like the man who was going to be ruling Egypt. Do you know that because of Jesus, God does not look at you like a sinner. He looks at you like the saved. Clean. He doesn't see you now. I see you now. I can't see what you're going to look like in heaven. Scumbags. We're all scumbags. Look at the state of us. It's hard to see, isn't it? It's hard to look at each other and think, how's that person going to heaven? <laughs> we do it, don't we? How's that person going to heaven? How's that person say? How, God, how does that person? But God doesn't see what we see. He sees the inner heart. He doesn't see the clothings and trappings of flesh, this meat on bones. He doesn't see that. He sees the heart. We're going to play a video, if it works. I've been told that sometimes it's a little bit hit and miss because of the distance from the Wi-Fi router. If it's missed, don't worry about it. If it's hit, we're on a boring. But we're going to watch a little video. Why does God bring us trouble? Why might he bring us trouble? And perhaps this might be one of the reasons why.
So to summarize, it says the brain hits a wall when you've only reached 40% capacity. And the only way through that wall is willpower. Is waste. I want to suggest here that one of the reasons why God brings us trouble is to push us past our comfort to push us past that 40%, to bring out what's really in there. You see, because God, God says this about you. You are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Now, if God says those words about you, then you've only touched the top of the iceberg of what God can do with you. Joseph, when he got his coat and had the dream, probably thought he was going to waltz down Main Street, right onto a throne, and sit there all legal. But he'd have only been 40% of who he could be. God really dug out of him the other 60. I mean, really dug out of him the other 60. And if you read your Bible, you will see time after time, Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, Jesus, the disciples, God puts them through things that nearly or does kill them. But they change the world. If you really want to be a world changer, you can't float at 40%. God's put so much more in you. But he's not just going to let you have it. Easy come, easy go. There's going to be some sacrifice involved. There's going to be pain involved. But there's also the promise of a great reward. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts his beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose uses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. And I'm going to finish with this question. What do I do when I'm trying to be the one that's good and everyone around me is behaving exactly as they want to behave? Because that's what the Christian walk is, isn't it? We're trying to be right by God, yet it looks like all the unrighteous are having all the fun. <laughs> They're doing what they want, aren't they? When they want, if they want, with who they want, and why they want. If you are honest, people may cheat. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness 
people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the best and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. You see, in the end, it was never between you and them. It's always been between you and God anyway. I want to thank you for your time and your patience with me. And I pray that God's blessed you. Definitely blessed me. And I thank you for your hospitality and your kindness. Uh, I, I just want to pray for you now and then to finish. Thank you, Jesus, for these wonderful people here this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those who are in the thick of trouble. Lord, I pray for them to remember that you are there with them, Lord. And that nothing comes into our lives without your permission and without your purpose. And that it's there and you can take it and use it for great good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do you say grace? Say the grace. Shall we say the grace together? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen.